all around this fair earth. Politicians, movie stars, wealthy... You know, I'm just going to go ahead and start over. <laughs> By the way, this does not count against the sermon time, okay? <laughs> Cannot count this. <laughs> All right, here we go. All around this fair earth, politicians, movie stars, wealthy power players sin. Sometimes big and often publicly. And, you know, many respond to their transgressions with what we call image rehab, right? Image rehabilitation. Hire someone in public relations who looks like Barbie or Ken, and they help one do things to appear like he or she has changed. A favorite TV show of mine, no longer on the air, poked fun of this reality show is called Arrested Development. show centers on a wealthy American businessman and power player who has spent years evading taxes, laundering money, etc., etc. Now in jail, his family, who was uh, complicit in his wrongdoings in that they took some of this illegal money and uh, looked in the other direction, they now try to rehab the family image. In this clip, you're going to see one of the sons, Michael, who's the responsible one. He introduces his family to an image rehab specialist. So, enjoy. I care about my daughter every bit 
as much as Michael cares about his son? What grade am I in? What kind of job? Something where you'll be seen. I represent Cloudmere Vodka, and they want someone to promote it by ordering it at a hot bar, a place like... Good. Okay, I'll do it. And Tobias, you're a medical doctor and you're living an absurd fantasy as an actor. It's time to get real. Wow. Tough talk. But I like it. You're saying land a major film. I'm saying get your medical license back. I've set up a hearing for tomorrow in Boston. Michael has generously donated $1,100 for your trip. I'm sorry. I truly believe that the universe wants me to be an actor, not a doctor. I'm just waiting for a sign. Here's your cash. Universal Show Activity. Any sign. And Lucille, people think you're cold. Buster. Right here. Ready to go. After service, get me out there. I want you to stay in. People find you odd and alienating. You make them uneasy. Stay out of the spotlight. I shall be neither seen nor heard. Watch me. You can always tell a Milford man. Well, <laughs> as you can see, uh, image rehab is one way of fixing uh, a problem, especially the problem of sin. But uh, clearly, as we see from this clip, it's a superficial fix. It neither changes a person and rarely changes their future actions. Thankfully, we have a God who cares about changing not just our actions, but our hearts, and so desires us to undergo sin rehabilitation. When you notice sin, that know in your heart towards God, and how it shows itself outwardly through breaking God's law and saying no towards God's ways, how we respond is absolutely crucial. We're going to look today at the Old Testament, one such man who was confronted with sin rehab. He was a king of Judah. His name was Asa. We're going to turn, if you would, to 2 Chronicles 16, page 317. Page 317, if you're using the Bibles we provided for you. 2 Chronicles 16. I've got to be careful. I've got a nephew named Asa, and so I want to be sensitive about... Uh, you know, playing up all his faults and stuff. Although he's ten years old, right? So I don't think he's—I don't think he's podcasting my sermon. So it's a calculated risk. Let's roll with it. <laughs> I'm going to start first by giving you a uh, Ryan paraphrase of the first part of Asa's story, which is located in chapters 14 and 15 of Second Chronicles. Just a quick paraphrase here. See, Israel to the north and Judah to the south became two separate kingdoms after uh, King Solomon reigned, which his reign ended around the mid-10th century B.C. After his death, well, first of all, Solomon's kingdom was enormous. I mean, it was huge. It constituted the largest Jewish empire the world would ever see. So naturally, you can understand why his two sons both wanted a little piece of the action. And the result was, naturally, war, battle, and two kingdoms. Israel to the north, Judah to the south. About two kings later, down in Judah, we get King Asa. 
And his reign as king is summarized really pretty well by 2 Chronicles 14.2 when it says, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. This guy knocked down and destroyed idols. He grew the army of Judah. When one small threat of opposition rose, he cries out to God for his help and God delivers him. Finally, you have a prophet who comes along who says, Hey, Asa, keep seeking God and he won't leave you. But you know what? You're doing great. Keep it up. He responds to this prophet's words by calling the entire nation together down to Jerusalem and asks them to recommit themselves to loving God. So you see the point here is it's one religious dude. He is on his game. And so far, that game is 35 good years. And now, for years 36 through 41. Let's read chapter 16 of 2 Chronicles together. This is God's Word. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah. When it says it went up, Israel's to the north, obviously you would think, why don't they go down? Well, actually Judah was a higher elevation, so you were literally going up. And he builds Ramah on this border. It's basically a border town. He fortifies it, kind of like a military city, so that goods and weapons and things of that nature can't get to and from Judah from the north. So obviously Asa doesn't want this. And he's frightened. So Asa, continuing in verse 2, Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa, and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Ijon, Dan, Abelmaim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah, and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, with which Basha had been building. And with them he built Geba and Mizpah. In other words, he built his own border towns, four to five border towns, to prevent Israel from getting goods from the south. Verse 7, At that time Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army? with very many chariots and horsemen. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was very angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison for he was enraged with him because of what he said. And Asa 
inflicted cruelties upon some of his people at the same time. The Acts of Asa, from first to last, are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bier that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared by the perfumer's art. And they made a very great fire in his honor. This is God's word. Pray with me if you would. Lord Jesus, your word says in Romans 15, that for whatever was written in former days, and here in Second Chronicles, this is former days, whatever was written in former days, was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragements of the scriptures, we might have hope. Spirit, I pray this morning that through the example of King Asa, the example of his sin rehab, we might have hope. Or that you might give us hope in our fight against sin. Or give us this hope through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we really have two sermons here and two applications. We could focus on the sin of Asa. Right? The sin of relying on self and others instead of God. Right? He made military alliances, and even later in his life, he relied only on other people and himself. Also, we could focus on that sin, what caused the sin, how we avoid sin, or we can focus on his response to sin. Two applications. As a side note, there are a lot of stories like this in the Old Testament. People failing, sometimes over and over, time and again. Two of the ways to approach applying their stories to our lives are just this. Preventing committing the actual sin, focusing on the sin itself, or focusing on how these characters, these Old Testament characters, respond to sin, which is equally, if not more important, than committing the sin itself. This morning, the sermon in a nutshell, if you remember nothing else, remember this, that the key growth, the key to Christian growth isn't focusing in on sinning less, but a focusing in on how you respond to sin. Many years ago, I had the opportunity to be head of discipleship at this international Christian sports camp. I was far too young for this position. I was thankful to get it though, and God used it. There was this period of the summer at the sports camp of about six weeks where the Holy Spirit was just pursuing hearts of students and young people alike. And a number of these students trusted their lives to Jesus. It was amazing. But I had seen, I'd seen people get fired up for Jesus before, go home, you know, mess up, feel down, and fail to get back up off the mat. Right? So, so down, they fail to respond. 
and keep fighting for Jesus. So the final meeting with each student before he went home, I always closed with one piece of advice. Looked him straight in the eye and I said, look, you're going to sin. So you might as well go ahead and let that sink in. You are going to sin. But how you respond to sin will determine if you continue to grow in Christ. Now consider this for yourself. When we've woken up to the truth, and you've woken up to the truth that you've been living two lives, how will you respond? When you fail to be generous with your money for who knows how long, how will you respond? When you realize you've used a friend, you've used a friend for personal gain, how are you going to respond? When your attitude's sour, when your word's ungrateful, when your heart is judgmental, when your prayer life is non-existent, how will you respond? I think we know from experience, it's in these moments, tense as they are, difficult as they are, where we make these responses that often change the course of our lives and alter our very character. So this morning, from the example of King Asa, I want to share with us three to four strategies, three to four strategies for godly, effective sin rehab. My prayer is that God will put at least one or two, if it's just one or two of these strategies on your heart to consider and follow through with, to carry out in your life. Alright, so we'll start with here with number one. First strategy for godly effective sin rehab is to find at least one or two truth tellers and maintain the habit of listening to them. Gather people around you who will tell you the truth and, may, and grab their ear and keep listening to them. Now, had Asa been listening to this seer all along, this prophet all along, and open to correction, he likely would not have responded in the stubborn way in which he did. But somewhere along the way, having tasted that success, he started to listen to and believe only the compliments, only the flattery, right? It was sweet music to his ears. So my question for you with this strategy is, do you have a Hanani in your life? Do you have a Hanani in your life? Someone you trust to confront you, to be honest with you when you've sinned. When's the last time someone even questioned you to your face? Questioned you about what you were doing or the habits you were living on in your life? Perhaps we should even go back a step from that. Do you even have potential for such a friend? I mean, is there a group, a gaggle, a gathering, among whom maybe six months or a year from now, you might see someone as a truth-telling friend? Is there even potential for such a friend in your life? 
Friends, each of us needs community. And one of the reasons we're launching community groups in October is just this. It's not to appease the masses or provide you with social events. Although those are nice. <laughs> but the elders and I believe that the health of your life and that of this church hinges on such real fellowship. And while in Western nations, hundreds of marriages end in divorce and are finalized weekly, there was one divorce this past week that received a high level, a high level of notoriety. It was between a professional golfer named Tiger and his wife named Elon. Beginning last November, woman after woman came out of the woodwork to begin airing her dirty laundry about sordid affair, sordid affairs with Tiger Woods. I read this week from his wife, Elon, who's a really soft-spoken kind of person, stays out of the limelight. She's in one interview, and in this interview she expressed that she felt deceived and betrayed by so many around their lives. These are the same people who claimed to be your ex-husband's friends, but they could not say no to him. Along the way, they couldn't say no. When things were getting bad and heated, they didn't say, you're going to ruin yourself and your marriage. No one was courageous enough to step up. And isn't that how sin works? You don't go along the path of sin in giant leaps, right? To adultery. It's one small step at a time, right? It's the second look at a beautiful woman. It's creating a fantasy life where you're with, you know, for men, it's creating a fantasy life where you're with that person and it's harmless, quote unquote, flirtation with that person. One small step. And that is why having Hanani in your life is so important. To see this, to see your life and say, stop. You're going to ruin yourself and your family. The result for Tiger Woods was tragic. I pray it's not the same for us. So, find a couple truth tellers, listen to them. Second strategy, humbly learn from examples of misguided faith. A few weeks ago, uh, we were talking about evangelism, and we discussed looking at people from a spiritual, eternal perspective. You may remember along the way, I, I mentioned that Everyone, everyone you speak with, has faith. It's just that the object of one's faith often varies, right? From person to person. What they put their faith in might be very different from you and I. Now, Asa had a son named Jehoshaphat. And he witnessed his dad respond to sin by continuing to put faith in himself and in his own righteousness, his own doing goodness. That was the object of his faith. And he learns from his dad's failed rehab. Now, but not right away. Now, Jehoshaphat, he wasn't perfect. He actually initially commits the exact same sin as his dad. He relies on himself and others instead of God when times got tough. By doing what? By making a military alliance. 
just like pumps. Okay? And then, check this out, he was confronted by a prophet who was Hanani's son, of all people. See that? The prophet's son confronting the king's son. How's that deja vu for you, right? Oh my goodness. Unbelievable. And it was not a coincidence, right? God is trying to teach both Jehoshaphat and us a lesson here. Will you learn from your father's mistake? Will you respond differently? And unlike Pops, he receives this prophet's rebuke. He receives the fatherly discipline of his heavenly father. The corrective discipline. And what do you know? His faith grows. His character grows. Now look, we see people in positions of responding to wrongdoing all the time, right? Whether it's at home, in the workplace, right? Uh, in line at lunch. What can we learn in these situations? How would God ask me to respond were I to find myself in a similar situation? How would I respond? Now there's a tendency here in our response to forget humility, right? The tendency is to judge people and say, man, I'd never do that. Right? <laughs> you respond that way or do you recognize humbly Recognize your need for God's grace. I could easily see myself responding similarly if it wasn't for God's help. Help! Right, that's one of my favorite prayers, by the way, in these moments. Help! I find that God often responds to desperation and dependency, so help is always a good prayer. How can we learn from examples of misguided faith? But doing so humbly, recognizing we are in great need. And even when we succeed, it's because of God's grace. Third strategy, search out your need for God, even when it's not glaringly obvious. You see, I, I try to make a habit each morning. I don't always do it well, and I avoid it a lot of times, but I try to make it a habit each morning to look back or, or replay the previous day and just confess or admit to God how I've sinned, how I've violated His law and rebelled against Him. Now, usually there's plenty to go on here, right? And uh, total recall. I have total recall even when the, uh, early in the morning when the, you know, the gerbil's just starting to move on the wheel, right? <laughs> and every once in a while, and I do mean while, I say this, I'll do okay, and I'll have a harder time coming up with stuff to confess. You know, things are going pretty well. I had a good day. One phrase you'll read three times over the first two chapters detailing Asa's reign in chapter 14 and 15. One phrase you'll read three times is that Asa's kingdom, or his land, had rest. I'll say Asa's kingdom had rest. Asa's land had rest. The author's trying to make a point here. 
things went very well for Asa. Things went very smoothly for Asa for three decades. Three decades. He served God, and God blessed him. So, which came first? Which came first? In Asa's mind, you can imagine what was happening. You can imagine with his reign as king humming along and people giving him frequent pats on the back. Hey, good job. We love our place. I'm glad no one's invading our home. You can understand, he began to subtly believe that he was the primary reason for the blessings. That he, Asa, was the primary reason he was so blessed. Now, we know that every good gift comes from God. So how can we avoid drifting into the lie that I'm the author of my blessings? I'm just give you a few ways. First, look to the past. Recall your own history, and especially the former state of your heart, to recognize your potential to sin. If you know your own heart, if your heart's anything like mine, man, you recognize it has serious potential to sin. You've seen it before, and it could crop up again. You know the history of your heart. Recognize your potential to sin, and thus warn your heart. against the patting on the back. Also look to the present. Feel like you're doing pretty well? And constantly acknowledge the God who has helped you. God who has made things go well, thank Him. And get in that habit of thanksgiving. That habit of thanksgiving can guard your heart against that pride. Finally, look to the future. Consider your day. Consider situations in the coming day that the coming day may present. Consider situations that the coming day may present and ask, where will I need God's grace? Where will I need His help? Maybe it's a difficult meeting. Maybe it's probable you're going to encounter someone with whom there's some tension, a little tension between you. Right? Maybe it's a doctor's appointment. And when those things are blessed and go well, you'll remember how you relied on your God. Right? He was the one who came through. Fourth and last strategy. Accept, accept the reality of sin and that you do it. Right? There's three typical but unbiblical responses to sin. Blame, maim, and shame. Blame, maim, shame. I, I love poetry. What can I say? So I, I like to run. That was purposeful. Blame, maim, and shame. We often... When we sin, we blame others or circumstances, right? We blame circumstances. Oh, well, you know, anyone would have done the same, considering what happened. Or, you know, we blame other people. Well, I, that was part of it, but, you know, this, what this other person did. We maim, right? We're really angry at ourselves, but we're going to take it out on other people. Right? Or, we're shamed. Right, and this is where we accept the sin. We accept it so deeply that we can't get out of it. 
We don't turn to Christ. We have no hope. People live in the shame. Now, Asa's response was nearly 100% maim. Right? He gets ticked. Royally angry. And not like just subtly angry, but I mean Incredible Hulk meets Jack Nicholson angry. <laughs> right? Remember The Shining? It's crazy. That kind of angry. Now a very thoughtful Christian writer named Henry Nouwen wrote one of the most insightful diagnoses of anger I have ever read. I want to read it for you here. He says, What else is anger but that impulsive response to the experience of being deprived? Think about it. When you get angry at a friend or a spouse, aren't you just being deprived of respect in your own mind? Or deprived of doing what you want to do? When you get angry at the government, they are depriving you of some freedom, right? Or perhaps a little cash. When I get angry, even at something as frivolous as at my sports teams, right? they're depriving me of the joy of victory that I have earned by sitting and watching. <laughs> In being rebuked by God's prophet and disciplined by God himself, Asa has been deprived, right? I've been deprived of this righteous image that he's constructed. He's been deprived of the good life. Right? The good life, because now he will have constant wars in his future. Now, now one continues with another important thought, which is very relevant for Asa and for us. He says about anger, he says this, This is not an open, blatant, roaring anger, but an anger hidden behind the smooth word, the smiling face, and the polite handshake. It is a frozen anger, an anger which settles into biting resentment and slowly paralyzes a generous heart. It becomes clear from reading about the sunset years of Asa's life that he never acknowledges, never acknowledges the second sin, the sin of anger. I say second sin because remember this first sin was not relying on God, relying on himself and others. He responds to that by getting angry and he never turns, he never responds by turning to God with his second sin of anger. Instead, those raging, that raging anger we saw turns into a paralyzing anger. Five more years, his anger settles in and paralyzes his heart. Bitterness. So we see that he refuses to ask God for help, even when he gets an incurable case of athlete's foot. Right? You know, he's tried tough acting to acting. And he still doesn't turn to God. Got a newsflash for us. You are going to sin. If you've gotten into Christianity, as you had in mind, that with a little bit of God's help, you could be 
all that you can be. And you, friend, are barking up the wrong tree. God wants to help change us, but He is not in the business of helping us set ourselves on a pedestal and making it all about us. Not even the military can help you be all you can be. Now, if I were to ask, do you sin? Many of us would say, well, you know, everyone makes mistakes. Do you sin? Well, you know, no one's perfect. Do you sin? Look, I've done a lot of stupid things. <laughs> Let's be frank. Those four-letter words come out of our mouths much more often than this detestable three-letter word. S-I-N. But it's the truth, isn't it? And when we can admit the truth about ourselves, God can give us the truth of the cross, which is forever forgiveness and eternal fellowship with the God who created us. Let me be clear, I'm not encouraging you to grow lazy in your fight against sin. Rather, we have this promise from the Apostle John in 1 John 1, 9, where he says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful, and He is just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us, to purify us from all unrighteousness. Because we are called to be persistent in responding to sin by taking us to the cross, because it's actually through the constant and liberating experience of forgiveness that you are strengthened in the fight against sin, and you are growing to become more like Jesus. Right? Not through focusing on our sin, but taking, constantly taking that, for, that sin to Jesus and experience the liberating power of forgiveness. That's not just a psychological ploy or a concept, but a powerful, true experience that compels us to want to love Him more, that empowers us to want to respond to sin in a godly manner. Does that make sense? That is pretty much the point of the sermon. Run to Jesus for His forgiveness. It's powerful and will help you love Him and serve Him best. In college, I had a friend who loved Jesus. But he succumbed to the temptation of lust and sin. But I tell this story because of his glorious response to that sin. He was on a road trip driving late in the night by himself on a major U.S. interstate. Feeling lonely, he started to have thoughts about being with a woman. He finally gave in to one of the many billboards that was inviting him to its strip club. So he went, plopped himself on a seat, and spent time oogling at women while ignoring God's voice, reminding him of what was true and good. So he took a moment to stop and look at the people around him. 
And this thought entered his head. I'm no different. Dozens of men like me came one time to a strip club only to keep coming back. See, friends, he responded to God's message. He responded to God's message. And so he got up, went to the bathroom corridor, and he called an older brother in Christ from a church Bible study. He asked him to pray with him. And his brother in Christ encouraged him to get out and not to linger any longer inside the club. So he hurried outside. And once out there, he bent over, just drew in a deep breath. As he did so, a woman, clearly one of the employees of the establishment, a stripper, exhaled cigarette smoke and asked, What's wrong, honey? He said, I've made a huge mistake, but I have a forgiving God. The woman started to tear up at this. And through conversation, he began to share the gospel with her. And believe it or not, she decided to trust her life to Christ. This sordid tale became a glorious testimony, not because he didn't sin, but because he responded to that sin by running to his Savior and letting him rehabilitate his heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, for many of us, this time of year really marks the beginning of a new year, especially for those of us who have kids going back to school or teachers. This, rather than January, really is the beginning of a new year. And Father, we'd have a lot worse goals than this one before us to spend the next six months or year focusing in on how we respond to sin. Oh, Jesus, help us learn from the example of Ahab. Help us apply one or two of these strategies so that you might protect our hearts, as so that we might run to you, our Savior, for that forever forgiveness, which helps us further obey you and grow more into your image. Lord Jesus, help us. In Jesus' name. Amen.